This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 11th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's awards podcast. I am the host, Scott Feinberg, and so happy to be joined on this episode by a woman who I think is as funny as anyone in the world. She is the star of Inside Amy Schumer, which won the first and most recent Best Variety Sketch Emmy. And she also is the writer and star of this summer's hit film, Trainwreck, which could be a player in the coming awards season, perhaps not only at the Golden Globes, which recognizes musicals and comedies in their own categories, but maybe even at the Oscars, where comedic screenplays like hers have been recognized before. Before we go to the conversation with Amy, though, let's first recap what's happened since the last episode of the podcast was posted. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, nothing matters next to what happened in Paris, which has been on all of our minds this week, and our thoughts and prayers are with everyone there, and that needs to be emphasized. Things here have continued, obviously, very somberly, including the Governor's Awards on Saturday night, which celebrated the careers of Spike Lee and Jenna Rollins, who received honorary Oscars, and... In absentia, Debbie Reynolds, who received the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. That was a big night for the industry to celebrate these legends and also for the people who are currently in the running for awards to come out and be seen by the many voters in the room. And so that was the big center of attention this past weekend, which came right on the heels of the AFI Fest, which opened with By the Sea, the Angelina Jolie Brad Pitt movie, was highlighted in the middle by Will Smith's vehicle concussion in which he played the doctor who took on the NFL over concussions, and then closed with the big short the large ensemble movie adapted from Michael Lewis's best-selling book about the recent financial crisis. Now, By the Sea is not going to be a major player going forward in the awards race. It's just uh, highly divisive and is not the kind of thing that the Academy goes for. Concussion looks like it's purely a Will Smith possibility. He's been nominated twice before for playing real people, and in this case does so with a Nigerian accent and a very moving story, so I think there's a good shot he'll be back in the running again. And then the wild card of the bunch is The Big Short, which is highly entertaining, very fun, very enjoyable, great cast, about an important subject matter, and yet large parts of it sail over the heads of many who see it. It's undermined, perhaps, by some of the things that make it entertaining, the the humor in it with cameos from major celebrities. That makes it a fun watch. It maybe also makes it a little bit less of a serious player, It's also a movie that's going to be dissected left and right, and that may not help it when people really start to focus on the fact that the people at its center, its protagonists, are all people who essentially profited off of the the misery of many fellow Americans. And obviously that doesn't affect whether or not it's a well-made or entertaining movie, but it is something that is a little distasteful when you you got to kind of catch yourself when you're having too much fun with the movie. So we'll see how that one goes down with the Academy. It remains to be seen. I think people are, are still thinking about it. And finally, in major news of the past week, the Golden Globe categorizations have been solidified with the HFPA, the group that bestows them, deciding on 
a lot of close calls or seemingly close calls. They've approved, for instance, The Martian as a comedy. I wasn't sure at all that that was going to happen because while it does have some very funny lines, it also is quite dramatic. Joy, which not many of us have seen, was seen by them and labeled as a comedy, so that's informative. Trumbo, however, was submitted as a comedy but rejected by them as a comedy and also rejected by them were the categorizations requested for Rooney Mara for the movie Carol and Alicia Vikander for the movie The Danish Girl. Both were being pushed, as they have been for the Oscars, in the supporting category, supporting actress category, and both of those requests were overturned by the HFPA, which felt that, as many others do, that those women have very substantial parts in the movies that they're a part of, co-leads, in fact, and so they will have to compete in the lead category which is certainly more competitive. Coming back to comedies, though, I think we're going to find that very few people are going to have a safer bet at a nomination than our guest today, Amy Schumer, who has shot to stardom in the last year with the third season of her show and the recognition that it received, and then also Trainwreck, all of which have combined to make her perhaps the hottest comedian out there right now. She has fans across the spectrum, from Chris Rock, who directed her comedy special, to Jennifer Lawrence, who's her now close friend and collaborator on an upcoming screenplay, to Lily Tomlin, who says she's the best thing out there right now. And the list goes on and on and on. She is fascinating, one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. She is obviously very funny, and I'm so honored that she took a little time to come and chat with me for this podcast. So without further ado, let's go to Amy Schumer. Very excited that you came in to do this, and I know that you must be too, because from watching your show, I know there's nothing you like more than doing podcasts. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, it's different. This is definitely a different kind of podcast, but you know, every comedian that I'm friends with has a podcast. (laughs) I'm just like, can we just have a conversation and not record it? Record it, right? (laughs) Well, I appreciate it uh, for for this, and I guess just to recap for for people who have lost track, it's been obviously a very big year for you, and let's just go through the. The Emmy for Inside Amy Schumer, first time the Variety Sketch Emmy's gone out. Uh, first produced screenplay and movie star vehicle, Trainwreck. Comedy special on HBO, big book deal, list goes on. So my question is, going from kind of somebody who was like a, originally, is like almost like a cult phenomenon, people that thought they were in on the secret for the last few years about you, uh, to somebody that everybody now knows about, does that... Uh, put more or less pressure on you when you're when you're doing your work do you feel like the stakes are higher or or lower um uh, the stakes I don't know I think it's definitely changed I, I I would say the stakes are are actually right where they've always been I feel actually more of an ease because I've always everything I've done I'm like well I'm just gonna do the best I can do mm-hmm. and then it's out of my hands and I still feel that way. But these things that come up where you're so worried about them and, um, yeah, like any sort of big events that are cause stress, whatever, I, I just now know if I do the work, then, you know, it's it's a opportunity plus preparation. You know, it, that's right, it. Right. So it's like I know I'm going to work really hard. But things like stand-up, that's different because now every time I tweet, Every time I um, try out a new joke, it, there's like a there could be like five think pieces on it, and <laughs> people, well, what did this mean? And but wait, you said this back in comedians are are treated like politicians now, and it's it's uh, 
it's it's difficult, but it's something you know. If you're like I, just really want to. I'm committed to being authentic, mm-hmm. and that's the only way I know how to be. So and you know, but I would say same stakes. Same stakes, but and just la- larger numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and is this kind of what the what the dream always looked like, or what was the what was the kind of as you look back, what was the ultimate uh, place this could end up? I think I pictured myself as Georgette, the poodle, and all dogs go to heaven. Like, <laughs> I seriously did not ever have a dream. I, yeah, like, I was never, I just always loved performing, but I didn't see myself as a movie star or, a, you know, a comedian. I didn't, I I just loved, I did plays my whole life, and I just wanted to make a living performing and entertaining in mm-hmm. some way. And so, yeah, there there was and has never been a dream. When did you first realize that you were funny? When I was five, I was doing a pl- I was doing Sound of Music. I was playing Gretel. And uh, I think I, I thought I was funny around the house, and I would, you know, my parents would just tell me f- different faces to make, and I was ma- but I was on stage playing Gretel, and the audience, every time I would say anything, would laugh. <laughs> and it was really hurting my feelings, and I asked the director, you know, what, what, why do they laugh? She said, because they love you. It's good when people laugh. It means you made them happy. And I really remember that being explained to me and and understanding that it was like a gift. And as you grew up, were there, and you kind of had a better sense of what was out there, What were there particular comedians that meant a lot to you? Who were, who were the ones that influenced you? It was less stand-ups that when I was younger mm-hmm. than it was more acting actresses it was I loved Lily Tomlin and Goldie Hawn and Carol Burnett I loved Gilda Radner on SNL and um and then when I got into stand-up you know just becoming aware of it I I really liked Whoopi Goldberg and uh and then you know just like Rita Rudner Judy Gold and uh yeah but you know I'm I'm I think my stand-up is influenced by probably every comedian I've ever seen. Right, right. Um, it seems like for most comedians, I don't know if most is fair, but a lot of comedians, their they, their humor, their desire to be funny, whatever it is, comes out of this kind of either something dark. There was a Dickensian childhood or terrible mm-hmm. parents or whatever it right. was. I don't get the sense that that was the case with you, but is is it, I mean, where do you think this just sort of, desire to make other people laugh aside from you know you said like you it was a fun to get the feedback or whatever but what most people don't then make it their career so what do you think made you take that next step well thank you for thinking that but no (laughs) I had a very tough childhood actually and and you can read about it in my book all right all right (laughs) um but um I would say it really it's just the perfect storm of having some tragedy as a kid and um you know all kids have obstacles but I really had the 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 deck stacked against me and uh and being naturally funny just having those instincts and that timing and I think anyone can get better at stand-up I think even if you're really a bad comic you can go on the road and get better but I don't think you can ever you can never have that thing that just makes people just see you and like you right away. I think that's Lauren Michaels was t- talking to me about that when I was pr- 
pretty drunk. <laughs> but yeah, just there's some people they just walk out on camera and people just love them. It's there. Well, uh, I'm not sure that pe- you kind of referenced this a moment ago, but I'm not sure that people realize that prior to becoming well known for comedy, you were you were really uh, on the acting track, and that you just to you know recap, this was what your college degree was in. Uh, it's I read you studied Meisner, that you worked in movies and TV before we came to know you as a comic. So can you just talk about that because I think it's kind of like very overlooked. It, uh, sure. It was, yeah, I, you know, doing plays my whole life and then studied theater, did all the plays in college and then did a two year Meisner program. I studied with William Esper in New York and then continued into his master class. And, um, it was, yeah, I'm, I'm a trained, I'm a trained ass actress <laughs> and, uh, and I would, you know, get booked in, I think all the comedies that shot in New York, I got to do an episode of at some point, <laughs> but they, and then I would be cast in something and then maybe one of the guys on the crew would say, oh, she's a comic. Like they'd heard me on Stern or Opie and Anthony or something. And, uh, and people would be like, oh, I heard you're a comic. And so it was like, it was kind of fun. It was nice to have, feel like I was living this double life. I was doing this play where I was playing a mom accused of beating her kids and also I was running to open for Jim Norton at Caroline's Comedy <laughs> Club so I did feel like I was living this double life and it was kind of fun not yeah. having one not having one overlap with the other and is there still a desire to do dramatic acting or is it mainly you're going to focus on the comedy uh, both both yeah. I love both I, I love that uh, and I love performers like that I love how Richard Pryor could have you crying laughing and then just have you crying right. a second later I think that a lot of comics are pretty good actors just because because there is that pain yeah. <laughs> behind behind all the jokes. But yeah, I wanna definitely do both. Is it true that one of the roles you went out for was the wrestler? I had heard that that was one of the movies. Yeah, yeah. I went in uh, with Darren Aronofsky and his producer Scott Franklin and that was it was I was on the last comic standing tour. And it was like I had to fly, I think, from Detroit to New York, audition, and then fly and meet them in Milwaukee or something. And it was just like such a hellish day. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was really, I felt really good about my audition with with him. And then, um, you know, I got really good feedback on that. And then like an interview I did a couple years ago, they were like fact checking, and they're like, "Yeah, Darren said that he, you did not audition." And I was like, "What?" what? I was like, "No, call him back." Yeah, right. and like I was like, "No," <laughs> but that lets you know, you know, you think you were real close to getting a role, and you were like not even in the top ten. Well, um, stand up though was something that like came quickly to you, or was it something that took a lot of work? I, oh, stand up doesn't come quickly to anyone. Okay. Um, you can. I was like. You know, I was on Last Comic, and it was like, you would have to have kind of a 30 to 90 second soundbite of something funny, and that's what I had at the time. I probably had altogether 12 minutes of stand-up, but that's kind of fine, and that can get you through. If anything, it would be impossible for me to do that now, because I'm so used to doing a long, long sets. Mm -hmm. And, but, um... But yeah, when you start out, no one's good. You're you're just bad. You have to be like really delusional to think 
I don't know. I, I think people have to be somewhat mentally ill to do stand up. <laughs> it's such a because you're not good for like ten years. And then you just yeah. Like, I was good enough. Like you know, you can get good enough to make money from it. But to be good, I'm not. I, I I'm proud of what I'm doing now. But I I think that I'm nowhere near where I hope to get. Well, that's exciting. <clears throat> Uh, how did sex become such a big focal point of your comedy, whether it's the stand-up or the sketch show or the movie or just everything? Yeah, I don't know. I've always been interested in sex. I'm not a, um, uh, I'm, I'm not someone who's had a lot of crazy sex and I'm not a freak. And I mean, still, I've never had anal sex. No one's ever come on my face, like nothing crazy. But I've always been interested in it. I remember I would, like, steal my mom's Red Book magazine and, like, read those articles and, like, share them with my friends and get in trouble. (laughs) I just thought it was interesting. I want to hear about it. And it's this secret thing that I I think people, once they open up about it, it's really liberating. And and it's also so much tragedy attached to it. Just so many, just so many awful experiences. Like, if it's... You know, whether you're in a new relationship or it's just a one night stand, like something is probably going to go very wrong. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I've only had one one night stand, and so I, I think just just talking about it has been enough for people to be like, oh, she's like very sexual. Um, but it's just interested in me, and I think there's just so much room for comedy. Do you think that? Well, I guess one of the things that you've done that's interesting is. You've always certainly with the with the show and with the movie you call your character Amy. Yeah. So maybe does that perhaps reinforce the idea that you're playing yourself, or is that uh, you know the question? I think you're saying you're not, in maybe in that sense, are in other senses, are you? Well, um, I there's a lot of me in those roles, but if you you know even my character in Trainwreck, she was she was sleeping with a lot of men. And I would say that that's a phase that I went through when I was a sophomore in college. Like, end of freshman year, sophomore year of college, I was in a lot of pain, and I mm. definitely my numbers went up. And so <laughs> it's something I can relate to and, and sympathize with. And um, and so I really wanted to tell a story of that girl who you would usually just look at and be like, oh, she's she's a drunk, she's a slut, and say, well, let's let's look at what's going on with her. And then my character on the TV show, you know, sometimes I'm the – the everyman, I'm the, the the eyes and ears of the, the people, and then sometimes I'm uh, I'm a monster and a narcissist and a victim and a and racist. It's like you know, it's so. Um, I think I don't know. We never really made a big decision to call me Amy on the show or in the movie, but then it was just like let's just let's just do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Chronologically, the, the it seems like you you've described your big break as as the episode that you did for Live at Gotham on Comedy Central. Is that you still feel that way? Well, that was my first time doing stand up on television, and that that just felt the best. Yeah, I definitely didn't get you know no, noticed out of that. Uh, that but, would have been Last Comic Stand. It was where you really got it. Yeah, Last call. Comic was prime time. You know, goes from I think. You know, maybe a hundred thousand people saw my set on Comedy Central, and then nine million people were watching uh, Last Comic Standing. So, yeah. um, but you know, it's like a bunch of false starts, and then right. 
I headlined for a year out of placing fourth on that and and then went back and opened for people and, and learned how to do stand-up. And was the Charlie Sheen roast, did that give a, a bounce as well? Is that what made Comedy Central itself say, let's let's see what her idea is about, you know, for the, for the show? I think so. Chronologically, I don't know what the order was. I think... I think I did the roast and then filmed my hour special. And we we already knew I was going to do an hour, and we already knew I was going to do a pilot. But the pilot definitely got picked up after my... The, actually, the night my special fil- filmed. Really? They were like, we're going to pick up your show. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so... The, the you've said of, of the show that it's the show t- this quote this TV show is my dream the show is everything I have in me I like to create stuff I like to express myself through jokes um, is it do you you know do you still get as much enjoyment three seasons into it as you did at first I mean I, it, does it get do you grow into it does it get easier for, for you well we're writing the fourth season right now we're in the offices and it's so fun it's even more fun now because the first season, we're like, what are we doing? And this is... And then we were really proud of the first season. And I'm like, well, I've got nothing left to say. I can't do a second season. And then the third season, it feels we kind of hit our stride and figured right. out what we what we are. And and now it's really fun. And it's, you know, there's a couple new faces, but it's the same people for four years now. And, and the crew I've worked with even longer than that because they were on um, the Adult Swim show, Delocated, John Glazer's show. They were all together there, and I worked with them there. And so... It's it's just a great feel, and in terms of the content and and writing it and producing it, it's it's still so exciting. It's it's still expressing the things that are just at the forefront of our minds right, right now. Just something, and it's a just a different kind of vehicle. Like some people will tweet at me or they'll whatever, and they'll be like, "I liked Trainwreck, but I don't like her stand up, or I like the TV show better than her stand up." You know, it's like they have to share that. Yeah, with yeah. I'm like, thank you so much for your feedback. <laughs> but it's all these, you know, it's it's um. It's its own thing, and it's I can express things there. I can't in my stand-up, and you can't in a movie. Are you pretty much given free reign by the network, or how does that work? Do they have to vet things closely? Or the truth is, yeah, they are. We've we've gained their trust. That you know, we call and we say, "Hey, I, I'd like to do a full episode where we recreate Twelve Angry Men," <laughs> and I'm only in it for thirty seconds, and, and it's black and white. Yeah, and it's black and white, <laughs> and um. And they were like, let's do it. And they were like, well, you need to be on it more. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just didn't. But they're, they've been awesome the whole time. And who's your core collaborators on that? Who are the, the key people? Jesse Klein is the head writer. Yeah. And Dan Powell is the EP, and he writes as well. And then uh, the writers who've been there from the very beginning are Kurt Metzger, Kyle Dunnigan, and... And then the last three years, it's been Christine Nangle, Tammy Sager, my sister, Kim Caramelli, is a huge asset. This season, she has been on fire. They We keep joking that we need to call it Inside Kim. <laughs> and um, our writer's assistant, Grace Edwards, is a huge part of it. And then uh, John Glazer. Tig is a, T- no. Tig, we only wrote for one season. Only one season? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, who else? Christine Angle is amazing. Uh, I know I'm forgetting. Oh, Mike Lawrence is writing this year. Sure. So from your yeah. pers- perspective, the writing versus the performing, what do you get more pleasure out of? Writing. Really? Yeah. I'm. It's just, it's so fun. That's kind of the most fun. I'm, 
I'm kind of all about the the work that happens before the thing. I don't right. know. Yeah, writing is the most fun. I, I I love it. I I still really enjoy doing stand up, and uh, but the TV show. I'm so I really enjoy being behind the camera. I enjoy directing. I I directed the Twelve Angry Men episode and um yeah i i don't know i really i really love writing has there been one of these sketches that's been the toughest to to sell i mean i've heard that sell in the sense of like yeah, getting everybody on getting board to- uh i'd heard that last fuckable day was not a very easy one that was the <laughs> hardest we were trying to make that for uh yeah for three years we it was we kept rewriting it and that is a labor of love that is that is jesse klein's baby i i'm very proud for my my work on that scene but jesse and i were both fighting for that scene for three years that was the hardest to get made and that may have birthed more think pieces than any of them oh for sure (laughs) yeah um now coming back to the writing for a second i the the rumor was and i don't know maybe it's confirmed maybe it's rebutted but that you had been asked to, to do the daily show after john stewart left was that if that's the case, was there um, was a consideration the format? Because it obvious, obviously would be a very different thing than what you've done, or is it the, just the idea that every day you have? It's hard enough to do, however regularly you guys are churning out the the show. But what were what were the considerations there? Um, well, the the Daily Show uh, I love and. And I and I I think Trevor Noah is doing such an amazing job. And when it was brought up to me as a possibility, I just th- was so um, moved that they thought I could handle that. Just you know, because it is it is a little bit of um, a, a family at Comedy Central. So to, I felt like my parents were saying, like, we want you to take. <laughs> we're, we're giving you our nicest car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was so just flattered and just really thought about it and and just thought um you know I really considered it and uh, it was a little bit just knowing that I would be in the building for like five years and do the show and um it was it was kind of just what the process would be and I was I'm more excited about not knowing the the path so I'm gonna go down sure so as I'm homeless in a year, just like <laughs> outside your office with a tin can. <laughs> uh, how did you and Judd Apatow first connect, and and you know why do you think it clicked for for so long? I think he's been associated with this with bromances. That was his thing, mm-hmm. but obviously it's a lot more than that. So what? How did that happen? Well, first I think Judd gets this rap of like bromances, and people are like, why doesn't he write more for like he's a guy? Yes. You write what you know. I think it's such a strange criticism, and I think that he's had a lot of funny women in his movies always, and the lead in Freaks and Geeks was a chick. It's just I don't know. It's yeah. a strange criticism, but um, but Judd and I. He heard me on Stern, and he wanted to just have a general meeting. He meets with lots of comics. He likes to just keep himself up on who's who's coming up. And he and we had a good meeting. We just hung out. He's a comic. We just kind of bullshit and uh, gossiped. And he was sound mixing. This is forty, and I was just blown away that I got to meet him. Right, I was. Right. It was the biggest deal in the world to me. Um, not like now when I'm like super famous and important <laughs> and he can't even get me on the right, phone. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, no, but so, and he was like, if you ever have an idea for a movie, just, you know, and I was like, well, I do have an idea. 
And I kind of pitched him this idea. And he said, oh, well, you should write it. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, should I buy a book on how to write movies? And he's like, yeah, I got this book. My teacher at NYU. And then um, I was reading this book and sending him scenes. And he's just really encouraging me. And and that first movie went away. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll wind up somewhere. But I kind of threw it all out. I then knew I could write a movie. That I could physically do it. And that was just good for my confidence. Yeah. And then, uh, like, a year later, we, we started talking about what was going to be train wreck. And I just kept thinking, like, that why is he bluffing? This is so <laughs> weird. And 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 I just worked so hard. And I was not I was not bluffing. I was like, if this doesn't happen, it's not going to be because I dropped the ball in any way. He what? would want to rewrite, and I would send it to him in a, a week or less. That's what he was saying. I saw an interview where he was talking about that, and he was just he was amazed that the the turnaround and the ability to <clears throat> implement notes and whatever. And I so I just have to ask a few maybe seemingly random questions, okay. but about your writing. So sure. where do you write? I write in bed. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, I, like- I sit up in bed <laughs> and I write, and I have like lots of liquids next to me, just <laughs> coffee and water and juice, and I just sit there like a woman in hospice and just kind of <laughs> type for hours and hours. And so, okay, that, I guess, answers the next question, which is what do you write on? It's not like a collection of million napkins no, or something. No, it's, a, it's a, a Mac. Mac? Yeah. And do you like? It's a filthy Mac. A, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by how dirty my computer is. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, do you like interruptions or do you need complete focus? Uh, no, I mean... I like I had to I was doing rewrites while I was filming my TV show and while I was editing and writing it. So it it would be like every second of my life was accounted for. It would be like, okay, I can write from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Then I need to go to bed, which really means I'm going to write for 45 minutes because I'll procrastinate. I'll find anything else to I'll be like, oh, what would the couch look like over there? Like anything. So it's, but still, if you, even if you do that, that, right. that 45 minutes adds up. So I, I'll get to a certain point. If I'm like in the groove of things, I don't want to be, and you know, if somebody calls, right. I'll say, can I call you back? Right. But I, and then I like to, you know, send a scene to my sister or Kevin Kane, who's my partner and everything. And I'm like, is this funny? Do you think I can do this? And just, I, I, I need encouragement. Well, I heard about that there was a, a theater collective that you're involved with. Can you talk about? I yeah. guess they've they've been consulted on a lot of this. Oh yeah, we the collective we we formed. Um, oh my gosh, it's almost ten years ago now. Wow. We, we seven of us study study together at the William Asper Studio, and we wanted to model ourselves after uh, the group theater, and we uh, and we yeah we're still going strong. And every season of the TV show, I bring scenes in, we put them up on their feet there, we work them out. We have rehearsals. We, we rehearse the show like it's a play. And same with Trainwreck. We did a lot of rehearsals there. And, and uh, every Monday night we meet about 7 to 10 at a theater. And different writers come and actors. And, uh, and you work on stuff you're working on. And we also produce original productions. And, and uh, yeah, it's wow. been a huge... That's great. Help. I, again, I don't know. I, I only learned that in the course of prepping for this. I had no oh, cool. idea. So I think that was. Yeah, I'm a secret theater nerd. I'm <laughs> a complete. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so as far as this HBO special just now, you worked with Chris Rock, who's your director on it. Yeah. How did that come about? And also, 
um, what was the experience like? And last part of this, I the going back to the rumor mill, but we I, we heard that you may have been asked to do the Oscars with him. Is that any validity to that? Um, I can't wait to see him host the Oscars. Yes. So anyway, I um, uh, Chris and I were just you know friendly, knew each other from around the comedy cellar, and um, I couldn't be a bigger fan. I yeah, he's he's probably the greatest living comedian, um, and uh, and then you know just you get better at stand up, and these comedians like people like him and Louie and Seinfeld like they want other people to come and be able to play in their playpen, but it's rare. And I'm not saying that I'm there yet, but they could see the potential in me. And so Chris, uh, we did um, a fundraiser for autism together. And uh, he, after my set, he said, let me know when you're working on something. And again, I jump on opportunity. I said, <laughs> well, actually, I'm preparing for an hour special right now. He said, okay, I'll come watch your set this week and give you notes. So he came, we did an hour at a club and he gave me great notes. And then two more times he came and, and I, I said, you want to direct it? And I, <laughs> it's just timing. I just right. caught him at a good time. I just said, would you direct the special? And he said, that could happen, you know, and just, he thought about it. And then he called me, I think a couple days later and he was like, I'll do it. And I was jumping up and down in my hotel room. I was so excited. And, you know, so most people direct comedy specials and you, you don't even see them till the day. You could you could realistically shoot a stand-up special and never meet the director. But Chris was on the road with me. He was, we were running around doing all the clubs in New York together. He's giving me notes, changing my order, expanding. The, he just made it... He, that was like my make a wish. That was the, <laughs> that was my dr- dream come true to have Chris Rock, helping me with my stand up and, and, uh, and my special. And it was, and you know now we're really good friends. And it was such a beautiful, cool experience. I feel really, really grateful I got to have that. That's awesome. Well, uh, last last three things if I can sure. really quickly. Uh, you kind of. Uh, help to break the internet with this thing with Miss Lawrence, and I want to ask you what exactly how that how that one started as well, <laughs> and je- the relationship, and then also this idea that this uh, revelation that you guys are working together. What's what can you sh- can you say anything about yeah. what that's about? Um, how do we break the internet? I, I think people went crazy. This is like be- about like, the just the, the, the jet idea ski, that just you, like us being the, friends. Yeah, the very fact that you know each other and you're hanging out. Man, yeah. like. I feel that excited about yeah. it, so it's cool that the internet felt the same. Right. <laughs> um, I, the truth is, I am such a fan of hers, and my sister and I are are crazy Hunger Games fans. Um, I'm, I'm, I go right to the young adult section in bookstores, <laughs> and uh, we just loved her like everyone else. You know, you see this girl, and you see her in interviews, and you just think she just seems like the coolest girl. I wish I was friends with her. And she saw Trainwreck, and it sounds like she kind of felt the same way. And so, um, yeah, yeah. and then she emailed me, and, yeah, we were emailing back and forth a little bit. And she was like, this was another, she was like, um, I want you to write a movie for us to do together. And so I went straight from that email to just writing a movie for us to get. I, I sent her 
like six scenes for us, um, six or seven scenes, and uh, was like, "Here's what I'm thinking," and she was like, "Oh shit, okay," and and we and we became friends, you know, be like, "Hey, I'm come hang out. We're going on this thing," and we would we would meet up and we became friends. We just we yeah, like we just really connected because the truth is. I, I'm. I don't want to be friends with famous people. Like n- you know, not especially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we we don't need each other in terms of work, but it does feel like we need each other in terms of our friendship. Like there are just some things I feel like we really understand about each other, and so we. Uh, I believe people come into each other's lives when they need them, and 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 Jen and I just kind of like clung to each other. Like yeah, this is happening for a reason, and. And so the two of us and my sister have been writing this script together, and it's like a buddy comedy, or what? What's the genre? What's the? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming I comedy. I don't. But. I couldn't. It's funny for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's. I would say it's a comedy, but in the way the train wreck had some heaviness to it, this movie definitely has a lot of truth and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, heaviness. And but but yeah, it is. It is hilarious. I I feel comfortable saying that. And, um, yeah, it's not connected to any studio or a director or anything. Right now it's still just the three of us girls and our friends and, you know, people in the industry who have read it to just give us notes. But it's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So now, again, coming back to where we were at the beginning, where just the – as things have changed, and particularly, I guess, in the last year, maybe, would you say, um, where people are now looking at dissecting everything you do, everything you say with, um, you know, you're one of Time's 100 most influential people, things like that. That's yeah. So when something like the tragedy that happened at, with, at the screening of Trainwreck with the gun violence happens, yeah. and you came out in a, in a non-comedic way, obviously, with your cousin and talked about that when yeah. somebody brings up you know the, the pc police come after you for something yeah in your past and you have to engage on that are you um how do you feel when you have to you know now turn off the humor sometimes and engage on the actual issues that are at the root of the humor well i think it's part of just evolving as an adult that these things, you know, when you're a young kid, you don't care who you're voting for. Like, you just think everything's going to always be fine and I'm fine. And then you realize, oh, no, and if, and we need to actually take action if we want any sort of change and, and speak up. And, um, and so I just, you know, when that happened in Lafayette, these two, the two girls, Jillian Johnson and Macy Bro, that they died and, they really didn't have to, and the guy, the shooter, it's, it, it was just, you know, all, all these shootings are so senseless, and the fact that there have been a hundred, over a hundred shootings since that, since July, um, and with what happened in Paris and everything, it's just, I, I'm someone who right now is in a position to be heard, and I know when I when I would see an actor or a comic kind of speak up about politics, you're kind of like, stay in your lane. And I, I totally understand that. But I feel a real drive and responsibility to try and get stricter checks on guns. And what my cousin and I are lobbying for is 
if you've been convicted of domestic violence or if you are severely mentally ill, that you not be able to get a gun. And that that seems pretty logical to me. But, you know, there's there are a lot of people out there who that really freaks them out and it well, makes I them mean, upset. And just wonder if you can reach them. Yesterday, some of them are responding to what happened in Paris saying if only they had They guns, had had just, more guns. Right. Everyone in there. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely going to show up on my TV show this season. And... Uh, and it is it is scary, but you know it's it's uh, but it I feel strongly about it, and um, and I I think yeah I think just you evolve as an adult hopefully, and you you say oh these these uh, these other things are becoming really apparent to me and mm. and really important, and I want to do what I can. But you've ta- you've taken some flack for speaking out about it. Well, yeah, anybody who says that they want stricter gun checks is going to be met with a sea of rage. Mm -hmm. That's just how it goes. But, um, and in terms of the, you know, just any sort of flack I've gotten, it's, um, it's a lot. It's really a lot to adjust to having every word, every outfit you wear be analyzed. And I have just, yeah, committed to myself to just be as authentic as I can be because the stand up so important to me. I don't want to become this safe <laughs> um, watching everything I say because then I'm just dead in the water. So right. uh, I'm going to do a better job. My, the mistakes I've made have been I, it's it's a rookie mistake to respond. But I really I've felt this kind of connection with with people and, and want to respond. And I've you know, I want to. I want to be honest and open and say, oh, well, this is what happened. But then if you respond, it becomes no, so interesting because it becomes national news. And so we, it, it forces you to it forces you into isolation and to not comment. So it's there's just no other way. So I, you know, I'm unfortunately being, a, you know, really advised to be be quiet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the last question is that I guess because of the the screen persona certainly on the show and and I guess maybe in the movie as well people I think feel like they can probably say anything to you like like you're the like you're a uh, instant buddy and I just wonder um what's that aspect of it like and also you know part b um because you're getting a lot of feedback what's been the most meaningful to you from all of this particularly in the last year as things have taken off uh I would say most of the people who approach me are smart and they can tell what's a character and what's not not all of them a lot of girls come up to me and they're just like oh my god like i'm you you know <laughs> and uh i'm like no like i'm doing a parody of you right. in that scene but uh but most for the most part you know once in a blue someone will come up to me and say something really ugly thinking it's funny and it breaks my heart, and um, I get over it quicker and quicker. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of comes with the territory. I'm trying to be good with my boundaries. It's been helpful seeing because I, I have a couple friends who have been f- famous yeah. for a while to see how they handle it. And because at a certain point, you can't. If I took a picture at this point, if I took a picture with everyone who asked, <laughs> I would not have a I job. Would, yeah, yeah right. like it's just. And people get really upset, and they they feel like they know you, and they're like, "Why wouldn't you just?" And I'm like, "I I'm I'm in a rush, yeah. or I'm, my friend just told me bad news, and I'm right. trying to be here for." Her. Right. And um, what was the second part? Uh, just um, 
what's been the most meaningful feedback? Oh, the most meaningful feedback. There's been so much. Uh, well, definitely from some of my heroes, just having Gloria Steinem say that she not only loved Trainwreck, but that she saw it with an ease, that she wasn't worried about being protected as a woman, that I would be doing something that would make her feel embarrassed or hurt or wronged. That was huge. And, um, and, and a lot of young girls, like I, when the people who I pass on the street and, uh, it's not, it's not just young girls. I don't know why I said that, but I I really like the idea of encouraging young women so that they don't waste any time with not being empowered or not liking themselves. And, um, but it's just, it's really women in general. Like, guys have been great, and I feel lucky. 50% of my TV show, it's 60% are watched by men, and, and Trainwreck, it was seen by a lot of men, but, um, and my stand-up is 50-50. But really? the women on the street, they look at me, and they smile at me, and say things like, keep going, and thank you, and I, I just feel so much support and love out there. And so I, I would say it's just... Um, yeah, just those women. Perfect. Well, yeah. thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Love this stuff. Awesome. Hey.